And welcome back to uh, today's edition of the show. It's Thursday, of course, second best day of the week as we get ready to head into a long holiday weekend. That's right, Monday, Labor Day holiday. Means uh, you don't have to work, supposedly. <laughs> of course, there's people that were still hunkered down in their house from March of last year going, I'm still not working. And in fact, that's what we're going to find out on uh, Friday morning. Tomorrow morning, of course, we will have the employment report from the BLS showing uh, how many jobs were created in the month of August. Now, here's the interesting part about this. ADP out yesterday, that is the uh, employment company, their numbers coming in about 50% of what was expected. They were expecting over 600,000 jobs created, came in just a little bit more than 300,000 um, with a downward revision to the previous month. So again, employment looking a bit weaker here from ADP. Now, importantly here, over the last several months, there has been a big divergence between what the BLS is reporting in terms of their employment numbers and what the ADP is reporting. So that, that so it's not surprising that tomorrow we could see a very healthy employment report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics because there's been such a big divergence between these two indicators over the course of the last few months anyway. And that divergence is something that is important here because while ADP is a company that actually tracks employment, now that's kind of the interesting thing here, right? Their job is to actually pay payrolls. So they kind of know from their computer systems who's working, who's not. Um, the employment report from the BLS is a, a phone survey done on the first Tuesday of every month. So this is actually an employment survey from Tuesday last month. And we'll get those, that data now. Um, and so they, were, they take the survey of 30,000 households. They repeat that survey for six months and they change households. But this is a very kind of, you know, you know kind of a speculative you know, process of determining employment. They just call a household and say, Brent, are you working? It's like Brent said, yeah, I'm working. You know, he's sitting around the house in his underwear eating pizza. Hadn't worked in four months, but, you know, he just doesn't want to say that he's not working. So he says, yeah, I'm working. I'm self-employed. <laughs> so, you know, that's, this, yeah. So this is how we calculate. And then we take that 60,000 households and we extrapolate that across 330 million Americans. So accuracy, well, we can talk about that later. But anyway, that number coming out on Friday. Now, why is it so important? Because this is what the Fed in particular is looking at in terms of making their monetary decisions on taper, right? This is, this is the big thing. They're looking for a strong employment report in order to determine that the economy is reaching full employment and price stability is, is a little bit at risk here because of inflation. And that's why they need to start tapering their balance sheet. A weak employment report, now why am I telling you all this, right? A weak employment report will be good for the markets because that, the markets will assume that with a weak employment report, the Federal Reserve is going to have to postpone their taper. And that's going to mean that continued liquidity coming into the market, $120 billion a month, that will probably be seen as a positive. So, you know, here's the irony of the markets. Weak employment, bad economics, good for the markets because the Fed can't stop. Taper. And again, if you take a look at what's been happening with all the manufacturing indexes lately, showing very sharp signs of slowing here. Uh, Citigroup Economic Surprise Index, very negative at this point. Um, you know, so there's plenty of signs here. A, the economy is slowing down. B, we could see weaker economic data going forward. That's good for stocks because that means the Fed can't stop their taper. 
And there's also another big problem coming up for the Fed to have to deal with, which is now going to be the continuing resolution. The CBO just released their 2021 estimate for the budget, nearly $7 trillion of spending estimated for the government. Now, this is $3 trillion higher than what is normally spent by the government. So this is a massive bill. And importantly, it's about two times the amount of actual revenue expected to actually come into the government through taxes. So what does that $3 trillion difference come from? That comes from debt. That means that $3 trillion in debt is going to feed into the deficit. And who's going to fund that deficit? You? I don't think so. That's going to have to be the Federal Reserve. We're going to talk about that with Michael Leibowitz this morning because that's really the big trap for the Fed here over the next few months is really not so much the economy, really not so much the markets, but who's going to fund the deficit. So we're going to talk about that and why the Fed may actually be trapped in QE this time around and may not be able to taper. So, all right. So, Mike, we got a few things to get into this morning. Uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about some of the economic data real quick, because I want to take that and then lead into a little bit of our conversation about why the Fed may be actually stuck in taper, uh, not being able to taper here. Um, you know, we saw weakness in ISM recently. It was a little bit stronger uh, in the latest report, but not by much. You know, things don't necessarily go straight down. They kind of bounce on the way down. Um, but as we posted in our daily commentary this morning, which is on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com, there is a, if you take a look at what's happening in China, there's a very high correlation between manufacturing indexes in the U.S. and what's happening in China because we export and import so much from them. And that's showing a lot of sign of weakness, which suggests that we're likely to see weaker ISM reports here kind of going forward. Yeah, yesterday was a little surprising. ISM was up very slightly. But if you look at almost all of the re there's a bunch of regional uh, manufacturing surveys. Mm -hmm. The biggest is Chicago, but there's Richmond, Dallas, New York, uh, Philadelphia, a bunch of them. And for the most part, they all slipped and they all slipped by a decent amount. Uh, the national index, again, was up very slightly. Um, and still, look, Lance, it's still at very high levels. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying the economy is crashing, it's going into a recession. But what we're saying, is, what, what I think the, mar the, the economy is telling you is it can't sustain that kind of rate of change. It can't keep going up by these mass, it mm -hmm. can't keep growing by such big amounts. And that the, the rate of growth is stalling. And again, these, survey, these are surveys. So the question is, is it better this month than last month? At some point, things can only get so good. Right. Right. And, and you answer that question. No, it's the same or no, it's, it's not as good. Mm -hmm. So the way these surveys are constructed, they have to peak. They, they tend to oscillate. They can't just keep rising. Um, so that's what's going on. Uh, but like you alluded to, China is probably the more concerning the regional surveys. And I think what we'll ultimately see in ISM is expected. It's it's the math, as we say. It's right. the survey method. China is really slowing down. Uh, their numbers are now pointing to contract economic contraction. And again, they are the largest growing major economy, second biggest economy mm -hmm. by far. You know, they're, they're well beyond Germany, other European countries, um, and they're really slowing down. Now, some of it is is self-induced. Right. They're they're doing a lot of things to the economy. 
to try to change the nature of their economy and to make it more productive. Right. Like right, limit, we can like, argue like, you know, some of the interesting things they're doing is limiting video games to three hours a week. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, kids are going to go in withdrawals. But, you know, it's, you know they're, they're right. cutting back on social media. And it's interesting, you know, because to your point, they're trying to do some things that are making their economy a lot more productive. And what are the one thing, you know, the things they're going after, the things that, that waste the most time, social media, video games, that, that type of thing. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's going to be an interesting challenge, I think, for other countries to, to step up to. Because, you know, if you take a look at productivity, there's a lot of productivity that's lost due to, so you know, even people at work on social media and doing other things, um, you know, kind of, you know, diverting that productivity. And China's going, hey, you know what, we need to focus on making, you know, making China great again. And <laughs> that's, you know, and, th and they're taking some interesting steps in that in that direction. And and work from home probably increases the lack of productivity. It's easier to look at your mm -hmm. Facebook or Twitter or when your boss isn't standing <laughs> over your shoulder. Exactly. Yeah, I think I'll take a two-hour break for lunch and watch Days of Our Lives. So, you know, right. it's, yeah, it, but it's true. And, this, and these are some of the challenges that we're going to face going forward. And, you know, and another problem coming up, too, and we, we've seen this lately, is, you know, we're watching, you know, all these stimulus and benefits, you know, kind of ending. There was an interesting chart out this morning uh, discussing how much people could make sitting at home from work with all the different government uh, stimulus, right? Um, and the average me median income, right? So inflation-adjusted median income for families in the U.S., um, according to the latest statistics from the Fed, is about $68,000 a year. The analysis showed that if you collect all the benefits, child uh, child tax credits and child care credits and, um, you know, $1,400 checks and all this, you could make $70,000 a year to stay at home. Why would I go to work if I can get paid to stay at home? It's crazy. Right? It's crazy. And nor should you. You should stay at home, take the free money, make an extra 2000 bucks. Yeah. Right? And a lot of it's tax-free. So. <laughs> and you don't have to pay for child care. Right? It's more than just the 2000 Yeah. You don't have to put gas in your car. You don't have to pay for child care. Mm -hmm. There's other expenses, too, that you can save. That's, that's correct. But again, and this is but now that's going to lead me to uh, ultimately our bigger point here in just a second. We're going to start that in the next break is talking about the upcoming budget deficit. But, you know, this is this is one of the challenges for the ADP report. We saw. And again, when we talk about the Fed, the Fed's been talking about, hey, we may need to start tapering because we've got inflation above our target. So we're seeing some very strong rates of inflation and we're seeing really full employment here. And we think if we have a couple of good, more um, strong employment reports, we could start to, to taper uh, the balance sheet purchases. But again, if ADP is 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 tra is a kind of a precursor to the BLS report could suggest we might see a weak employment report tomorrow, which could be good for the markets. Right. Saying, hey, well, the Fed's not going to taper. Right, right. That's all that matters to markets. I mean, yesterday was interesting, right? ADP came out and that 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 was on the weak side. It was still growing at 300. I forgot the number 370 something thousand jobs, which is very strong growth compared Normally. to, you know, which is kind of typical 250, 300 is 200 to 300 is is used to be strong. Right. You know, that was, of course, two or three hundred thousand less than what the market was expected. But if you look at a graph of those, it came out before the, the stock market was open, but the futures market were open and you can't even pinpoint on there where it happened. <laughs> right. Normally you would see, 
you know, it would kind of trade flat and then a big jump or a big drop. And, you know, it's kind of like a uh, heart monitor and then something happens and it goes back. There was nothing. You, you, you know, you had to double check to make sure the ADP even came out. Right. So, but, but, you know, now there's one, and when there's one note here, and I did mention this in the opening uh, kind of monologue of the show today, which is over the last few months, there's been a huge statistical divergence between ADP and BLS, which is normally they, they are, are, they're not exact to each other, but they're fairly close. Um, you know, some some months the ADP report is a little bit better than than BLS and vice versa. Over the last few months, in particular, there's been a massive divergence between these two, um, which is interesting because ADP actually employs. I mean, they they actually track employment. I mean, they are a payroll service for companies, so they kind of know from their computer system who's getting hired and who's getting fired. And they're telling us one thing, and the BLS survey is telling us something entirely different. The BLS is telling us that employment's been just surging here over the last few months, and and you know, kind of a kind of a question is really which one is correct. Well, the BLS, like you said, is a survey. ADP is a data collection, mm-hmm. and then the BLS includes all the people they deem out of the workforce. Right? There's many ways that that number gets manipulated right uh, most of it is thoughtful and needed but but the way they do it and how they do it is very questionable at this point and right. we've talked a lot about that you know the birth date birth death rate right that's not there's no way it's accurate there's no way that many companies have started up over the last year mm-hmm. so there's a lot of seasonal seasonality that makes that number really difficult to comprehend whereas adp is just telling you what it is right Right. Yeah, it would seem like it would seem like between paychecks and ADP that the Bureau of Labor Statistics could just call them up and say, hey, could I get a sampling of your data to look at for the last month and compare the two? And, you know, those are your two largest payroll companies. seems like it give you a much better survey outcome than, you know, random phone calls, you know, on the first Tuesday of every month. Right. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> but and yeah then you wouldn't need all the seasonal adjustments either so there you go um all right coming back from the break though this you know this is what i want to get into um the cbo just came out with their estimated budget for this year um nearly seven trillion dollars for the new upcoming budget and that includes you know a lot of the things that we've been doing and a lot of expectations of what we're going to spend um and income from tax revenue is estimated to be about trillion. So roughly, we're going to have to be financing between three and three and a half trillion dollars for the upcoming budget for this year. That's all deficit. Now, the reason that that's an important thing is, is the question is going to come up here is who's going to finance the deficit? And that's what we'll come back and talk with Michael Leibowitz after the break. Can the Fed actually taper with a three and a half trillion dollar deficit coming up? Stop shaking your head. People are watching the video. They're, they're going to know what you're going to say up front. <laughs> so, we'll be right back after the break. Don't go away. <laughs> so, Mike, we left off just before the break, talking a little bit about the employment reports and some of the economic data. And, and the, the issue there, uh, specifically with the economic data, really comes down to the Fed and this whole idea of tapering and what they've been talking about is as well, you know, strong employment reports. Our two mandates are, you know, price stability and full employment. And we're getting there. And since we're getting there, we need to start reducing, you know, the amount of liquidity that we're throwing into the markets. You know, this uh, 
one point, you know, $120 billion a month that we're doing in QE. And it sounds great, uh, this idea that they're going to be on top of this ball. They're not going to let the economy overheat, and they're going to start tapering here and be responsible, so to speak. But they've got a bigger problem coming up, um, which is that we're about to have to go into a $3 trillion or $3.5 trillion deficit for the next fiscal spending year to meet some of the spending plans. And that's just assuming that the, the stuff that's on the table right now goes through and the stuff that we've got to spend this doesn't even include additional spending that may come down the road so again we could see a lot bigger deficit by the time we get to you know the end of of next year but you know the question becomes who's going to fund the deficit because as in, in order to get this funding put together the treasury has to issue the debt and all of a sudden you've got seven trillion dollars worth of bonds being issued and you need buyers to pick up those bonds and if you don't have buyers to pick up those bonds interest rates start to spike if interest rates start to spike the whole thing really kind of comes apart at the seams because all of a sudden mortgage rates go up people won't buy houses car rates go up people stop buying cars and 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 credit card debt spikes and people don't have the money to make credit card payments and all of a sudden the economy grinds to a halt very quickly uh, it's you know rising rates are far more insidi insidious than inflation is because it has an immediate and direct impact on the economy, which really kind of goes to uh, you know Grassley's uh, famous statement, which is you know the Fed, you're the only game in town. It looks like they're going to be responsible for having to finance the debt. Right. First of all, Lance, think about what you just said. We're going to run a three three and a half trillion dollar deficit with a booming economy. Yeah. Right. This isn't a recession. Right. This is a booming economy where this is a higher sustained growth rate than we've had in since the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Right. Right. So so just put that into perspective and then you can question why the economy is booming, too. But nonetheless, the, the, the government runs a deficit and we all think, well, it gets paid with taxes. That is so far from the truth. It's the the amount of debt has been rising at seven times the rate the amount of taxes collected. Mm -hmm. Right. I wrote about that last month, last week in uh, the Miami Stripper article. I forgot. Right. And the fiscal elephant. <laughs> um, but but the, the the deficit has grown so much faster than our ability to organically pay for it. If you kind of think about the U.S. government as a household, it's growing more than income. So then what do they do? They do what we do and they borrow. Right. They use their credit card and they make up the difference. And that's fine. But the more you borrow, the more the higher your interest rate goes because there's supply and demand. Mm -hmm. right? right. And so that that was kind of what happened before 2008 for the last for the 40 years before that we'd have these deficits some little some big they actually had a surplus for a couple of years but primarily there was a deficit every year so that deficit is above and beyond what taxpayers could pay and they would the u.s government would issue debt to pay for it you know pension funds bought it endowment funds bought it investors bought it mm -hmm. and foreign governments bought it and that that worked reasonably well but as you take on more and more debt and as debt becomes a bigger part of your economy, the interest rate matters more and more. So the, the Federal Reserve at some point was understanding that interest rates were becoming a bigger and bigger driver of the economy because of the onus of debt. And it's not just government debt, it's corporate debt and personal debt 
have very similar profiles. Right. Not as bad as the government, but the profile, you know, it's just ever expanding debt versus income versus mm -hmm. GDP. So so we get to 2008 and the Fed, for various reasons, decides to do QE. At that time, it wasn't necessarily to fund the deficit. It was more to, to help the markets get back to buy mortgages. It was a financial crisis and they had to do whatever they could to help the banks. But over the last 10 years, it's become apparent that there's now three ways to fund deficits or to fund spending. It's taxes, it's debt issuance, and now it's QE. Mm -hmm. So Lance asked me a, a, a great question a few days ago, and it really just shut me up, which, <laughs> you know, it's hard, hard to do. It's hard to <laughs> shut me up, uh, when we're, especially when we're talking about this kind of stuff. And he said, well, if, the, if they taper and they stop doing QE, who's going to buy the debt? And, and it's a great question. Mm -hmm. And there's an answer, right? They could stop QE today. Someone will buy that debt, but it's not going to be at current interest rates. Yeah. And so there's two components to that. A, it's not going to be at current interest rates. Interest rates have to rise. That will negatively affect the economy. It will greatly affect the dollar. Mm -hmm. It will also greatly affect every other asset market, including the stock market, because now the, the markets as a whole, investors, have to come up with two to three trillion dollars to buy bonds. Mm -hmm. They will get sold, right? right? Uh, at 8%, I'm all in. Yeah. I'll sell everything I have and buy treasury bonds, right? There's a there's a level. Yeah, and, and, and I'm gonna stop you real quick. And I wanna step back for just a second because you said something that will greatly affect the dollar and you know it makes it sound like that's a negative for the dollar. It's actually a positive for the dollar because when you look at the fact the rest of the world is running negative rates, all of a sudden if I can get four or five percent in a triple you know, in, in the US, you know, risk free treasury we would have massive inflows into the U.S. dollar of, of governments around the world wanting to buy treasury. So to your point, the debt will get sold. We will sell those bonds. The only question is, is at what rate do those bonds right. get sold? Right. Just ask yourself, at a certain rate, don't you sell your stocks and buy bonds? Right? Right. There's a level for everything. Sure. And that's what happens. It starts sucking money out of stock market to go into the bond market. The pool of investments is expanding versus the Fed trying to contract the pool of investments to make all the outstanding investments worth more. Right. You're going to have the opposite effect. And, and, and so in other words, the market goes from Tina, there is no alternative to stocks, to TIA, which is there now is an alternative to stocks, which is bonds. Right. Right. I mean, I, you know, again, you kind of think about earlier in our careers when you could. I remember just having a cash account at Fidelity that was earning like five or six percent. Sure. Crazy. I, I mean, didn't even have to invest. You could have a decent return, a decent positive real return. Mm -hmm. Right. Real. So after you factor in inflation, you were still making two or three percent. Today, if, if you put in money market, you're losing Two to well, now you're losing four or five percent a year, right. but you were losing two or three percent a year before that. But let's step back. That's you know, that's that is the whole purpose of QE. Which, when Ben Bernanke talked about doing QE, he says, Look, we're going to do QE to inflate asset prices. And when they drove rates to zero, they knew there was a conscious decision there that they were going to lower the rate of interest on safe assets, 
bonds, money market funds, CDs, etc., and force savers out of those safe assets into risk assets. They knew that that was going to be the consequence, and now they've created two bubbles in a row um, by doing exactly that type of process. Now, these always end badly, unfortunately, for the savers who gave up their safe risk-free assets to chase risk. And they're gonna and they're gonna destroy a big chunk of the middle class again when this eventually breaks for whatever reason, but you know that's this was a this was a choice of the Federal Reserve to do this specifically to force people to take on more risk. Right, right. And now you know we squabble all day about employment and inflation, and the Fed keeps coming out and saying, "Well, inflation's too high, and employment's getting back to normal. We're gonna do this." It becomes a very technical conversation centered around those two and we're looking at you know tomorrow's employment report is paramount we're all going to look at it and if it says this the fed's going to do that and if it's this the fed may not do that do may not taper right mm -hmm. well the reality is the fed can't taper they can taper and they probably will taper they're not going to zero they're right. not going to stop they're certainly not reversing the engines that ain't going to happen right it can't happen unless you're willing to balance budgets at this point we've gone way too far yeah, and that's and that's gonna, and that's really kind of the whole problem with the with the fiscal profile of the government is that they've become dependent. And, and look, and this is the whole theory of modern monetary theory, which is neither modern or monetary or a theory. Um, but this is the whole premise: is that deficits don't matter. And the whole premise, and, and this is the only part that that government heard is like, oh, under modern monetary theory, we can just issue debt. Deficits don't matter. They do matter. And even the basic premise of modern monetary theory is is they is that when inflation shows up, then you've got to start raising taxes, and you have to start do, you have to start applying fiscal principles to that monetary policy when inflation shows up. Well, guess what, folks? Inflation's here. And that's now a problem. And, and we don't want to raise taxes on anybody and we don't want to cut our spending. So the Fed here is really in a very bad position. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is going to put a lot of pressure on Jerome Powell. So is Biden. And if Jerome Powell wants to remain chairman, which he does, um, you know, it's not surprising to see him come in as much more dovish than a lot of his underlying minions have been talking about lately. Be back after the break. Wrap up our conversation with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Headline on Fox News right now. San Francisco is about to start a new social program. I don't know if you've read about this, Mike, yet. They're going to offer out $300 for each of their residents that are what they consider high risk. Now, what's a high risk resident? A high-risk resident is somebody who goes out and shoots other people. So the whole point of this program is if you will promise not to shoot somebody, we will give you $300 a month. Or, and in particular, don't get shot. So you can get $300 a month not to shoot people and not to get shot. And you get an extra $200 a month if you actually go apply for a job. <laughs> So, or can you stab? But you can still stab people, right? Well, no, no, you're not supposed to commit violence. This is the whole okay. point, right? But, but yeah, it's, you know, what could possibly go wrong with this? I'm sitting at home. I'm not making any money. And I'm a good person. All I got to do is go out and shoot somebody. And then all of a sudden I get an extra 300 bucks a month. I mean, what could go wrong with this whole program? 
you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, San Francisco is a beautiful city, and they have just destroyed that city over the last few years with a lot of the policies that they've been imposing and, you know, massive homelessness in the city, you know, drug problems, and now you're paying people not to shoot people. I don't know how this event – I think this is going to be one of those experiments we look back at in history and go, that was probably not a good idea. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm actually writing, writing up an article on rent on right. rent in the US and Oakland and San Francisco have their rents have come down and they're slowly recovering every other city major city and and you know lesser cities in the United States have come back sharply well the the question is is the rents come down for economic reasons or because nobody wants to rent there well, I think I think it's you know they came down because of COVID and people right. wanted to get out of the cities, but they're not recovering like they are everywhere else because people don't want to go back. You know, <laughs> they don't want to go back, and you know you it's it, it's you hear all kinds of stories about San Francisco with the homeless problem and and all kinds of issues that you're right. It's it's such a beautiful city. I love yeah. that city. But they have really ruined it over the last 20 years. Yeah, I know. And it's a shame because it is, it's a, like I said, it's actually a, you know, a gorgeous city. It's great restaurants and used to be anyway. Haven't been there in a few years, but um, it, was, it was a great place to visit. Um, just don't want to live there. You know, this is, but, you know, to, but this is kind of all part and parcel. Again, you know, you know, what we talk about that is kind of a one off here. It's, it's really kind of part and parcel of, of this whole kind of trend of, you know, social change that we've seen across the country and you know we were talking about modern monetary theory here a second ago just for the break and you know the whole premise of that is is oh we can just run massive debts and deficits and it's completely okay because we're giving money to the population you know yes that's true but recycling tax dollars is non-productive you know you're just taking from one group to give to another group and and form i'm taxing one group giving it to another group and that sounds great right we're going to tax the rich give it to the poor that's awesome except the fact that when you do that ultimately inflation goes up as we're seeing in the latest version of this experiment and that actually is a bigger tax on the poor than actually just raising income taxes on them because right, they right. spend so much of their income just trying to make ends meet and pay for you know to pay for living costs right rent food gas you know all the things we don't count in, in inflation <laughs> you know it's a big it's a big tax on them and so you actually don't wind up helping anybody through deficits and you don't wind up helping you know people by giving them money you actually make things worse right right it's a huge wealth inequality problem that the fed is fostering that they're boosting the fed just had a paper on this they, they they know it's going on. Mm -hmm. They they the the, head, the headliners don't admit it, but the researchers have pointed this out time and time again. We've pointed it out that it's not just free money. You can't just do QE and it's free. It's having a big effect on wealth inequality, which has a big effect on social inequality, which, and it's causing problems right, in this, this country. Is, this, and this is the huge irony of all this, right? I mean, I, I mentioned this the other day in a tweet. I said, you know, the, the Federal Reserve is concerned about inequality. You know, this is the same thing as your, as your local crack dealer standing on the corner with a T-shirt that says, just say no to drugs. I mean, they're responsible. Direct, there is a direct responsibility on the Fed for wealth inequality. They have, they have fostered the ability for banks to do massive share buybacks, et cetera, which benefit the insiders and does not return capital to shareholders. That's a huge myth. 
you know, we, we've, you know, created a wealth disparity. The top 10% of the economy owns 90% of the asset markets. You know, the bottom 90% are just struggling to get by and make ends meet. You know, they're, everything they do is directly responsible for this wealth inequality, and now they're concerned about it? Right, right. It's, it's, everything is a farce, right? Yeah. It's interesting. AOC and there's a few others are telling Biden they don't want Powell anymore because he's not green enough. Well, Powell can what be green. What does the Fed have to do with climate change? Well, well, how about this? If the Fed raises rates to 5%, the economy will slow. People will use less fossil fuels. And there's your green. We'll, right. we'll be very green, right? But the second that Powell even talks about or thinks about talking about raising rates, AOC is going to go crazy. Right. Right. She You're taxing out the little people. They the, don't understand. Yeah. They, they really don't. And I don't think they want to understand. No. Because the truth would crush everything they've said. Well, and this, look, there's there's a huge difference between, you know, headlines and sound bites and getting of reelected course. than there is actually solving the economic problems in the country. And look, and, and, and look, for most people listening to this show, right, the majority of people that listen to a financial talk show, they have money invested and that's what they're concerned about. So there, congratulations, by the way, if you have more than $500,000, you're like in the top 5% of the country in terms of wealth, right? I mean, that's pretty amazing. You know, we, we think about the, you know, the top 10% being guys like Bezos and Gates and Buffett. No, no, no. Those are in the top one-tenth of one-tenth of 1%. It's a very small fraction of the economy that has that kind of wealth. The top 10% have $10 million or less. Right. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. You don't have to have much money to be in the top 10 percent of income earners and wealth savers in this economy. If you've got money invested in the markets, it pretty much shoves you into the top 10 percent very quickly. So, again, you know, if you're listening to the show, you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense because, you know, I've I've, you know, this is I'm doing fine. You're not the other 90% of the economy that is struggling to make ends meet. And, you know, we publish this chart on a regular basis showing the income, the gap between incomes and cost of living. And the average person has to go into debt about $4,000 a year just to maintain their living. And this is why debt keeps going up in terms of households. So, you know, when we talk about these things, yes, it may not be affecting you personally because you've got money invested. But for a lot of other people, they don't. And they're sitting there wondering why, you know, the cost of gas and food is, is going through the roof. And they don't understand what's causing it. They just know what's happening to them. And they just right. know that they can't make ends meet. And this is probably the hugest problem for the Fed and for politicians is inflation. Did you just and say hugest? Hugest. <laughs> the most huge problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. Me, ne this. me never did good in school. <laughs> <laughs> it, so, it's the biggest problem. It's the biggest problem, Lance. I know. Spell check. Got it. Uh, the problem facing both the Fed and politicians is inflation yeah. because they don't have the answer for that. Oh, they have an answer for it. You do don't it. want to hear it. It's well, higher rate. It's no QE. It's yeah. lower deficits. That That's not going to fly. You're going to, you know, if, if you start running perpetual inflation and the Fed can't do QE, you're going to have 100 new senators and 500 plus new representatives because none of them are going to survive something like that. Right. Well, and that is really the big problem. You know, this the, and this is why we're coming up with things like modern monetary theory. Right. The reason we're coming up with these 
you know, kind of totally irrational monetary theories is trying to justify what we're doing, right? Because there's really isn't, a, you know, the real choice here, if you truly want to get back to stronger economic growth, equality across income ranges, et cetera, you need to start getting the economy back into functioning on a surplus, which right. is, and, and look, you didn't get in this problem overnight. You're not going to get out of this problem overnight. It's going to take time. And it's going to be painful in between. But, you know, the stock market is going to have to be about half its value. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, interest rates are going to have to be higher. And that was going to slow economic growth. And, yes, there's going to be a change within the economy in terms of employment, participation, and all these type of things. But ultimately, and you've got to let people go through the bankruptcy process, including corporations and banks. And, and until that happens, the, right. you're just creating more and more instability and, and more and more problems. Right. And, the, and, and here's the problem with all of this. And this is the one thing that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to think about it because it's not very good. But at some point, you have a choice. You can make changes now to start moving yourself in that direction, or eventually the economy is going to make that choice for you, and it's going to happen all at once. Right. And, and we're certainly heading in that the latter direction. Yeah. Well, this has been, but this has been the direction of every economy throughout history. England bankrupted itself. France bankrupted itself. Rome destroyed itself over these very issues. And you know, you can go back, you know, empire after empire after empire, civilization, you know, China bankrupted itself more than once doing the, the very similar stuff. So, you know, you're going to, to see the same problem occur. It's just a function of time because it's happened to every other country that's tried it. It's just it's just an eventuality of, of the direction we're headed on. We just don't want to admit it and we don't want to think about it because hopefully it'll just be the next guy's problem and not mine. Right. Exactly. Well, ending that show on a good note. Have a great and safe Labor Day. How <laughs> <Exactly>. about that? <laughs> and uh, like Mike said, enjoy your Labor Day. We'll be back tomorrow. Be sure and get by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our daily market commentary is up and running. That's there for you. Talking about the ISM report, upcoming employment. It's all there for you. Uh, also, our latest blog post from Michael, myself, all on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And make sure you subscribe for our daily market commentary. We del deliver it to you every morning by 7.30 a.m. So you're ready for the market day. That's on our website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow. It's a rich world. It's a rich world.